Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world hearing my voice. I so appreciate you for tuning in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. This is a fabulous Friday that I am recording this with the wonderful Joe Osterhout. Osterhout, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's a subject that I think is really important for women. One of the things that if you are really aspiring to have a career where you are an influential or an executive in a company or run your own business, one of the things you're going to have to cross the line on is understanding finance and how to manage money, how to think about money, how to strategize about money, how to take action around money and capital and resources, financial resources and financial instruments. As an executive coach, working with particularly women and people of color and marginalized groups, one of the things that I often run into is a kind of a phobia or I can't do it or they don't get the kind of coaching, developmental opportunities, abilities to manage a P&L that I see that men get. And in fact, they often shy away. So if you look at the numbers, predominantly women are in jobs that don't run P&Ls. But to become an executive in an organization, whether it's to be the COO or the CEO, if you're going to be the chief marketing officer, if you're going to be the chief strategist, if you're going to be the chief compliance officer, if you're aspiring to be the chief information officer, you have to understand the connectedness of the business. And a big portion of business, if you've listened to me before in person at my speeches and read my book, then you know that there's really three parts to a business. One is you make a product or service that targets a particular need in the marketplace. You got to have customers. You have to have a process that delivers those services and needs to it. That's operation. The final one is that you got to collect money. You got to manage money coming in, money going out. Those are the three pieces of a business. Each business might be slightly unique in terms of how they do that, but there are only three parts to a business. Let's not get it twisted. There's people and customers. There's operations. How do I get it out? How do people know about me? What does that look like? And then there's the managing of the money. Well, today's conversation with Joe is really about talking about the need and the desire and then what you can do to get the financial literacy necessary so that you do better at home, but you do better at the workplace and it makes you a much more competitive individual. So with that, how you doing, Joe? Denise, thanks. It's such a pleasure to be here. Really great to be on this and have you talk about this super important topic. Yeah. So, you know, you're financially smart. Tell me about your story. How did you get there? Well, you know, I think I always grew up with numbers. My parents are both academics and my dad was an engineer. 
So at home, when we sat around the dinner table, we had quizzes. So from my mom's side, it would be literature and arts and things. And from my dad's, it would be numbers and engineering. So Mm. numbers have never been a something that I've been afraid of or hadn't been taught since my early days. They just are natural for me. Mm -hmm. But I do see that for many women, they are not, Mm -hmm. which I put down to somewhat of a an education issue. You know, there's many surveys that show that teachers will call on the boys in math class more than they will in the girls. Mm -hmm. And girls grow up right or wrongly thinking that they don't have the number skills when they get older. Like you say, often they're not put in positions where they will be managing money. So there's a lot of sort of systemic things that all come together to make women, I think, in general, a little less comfortable with numbers and money. You know, and it's interesting that you say that, because as I've had the opportunity to travel, I find that this idea of money and not kind of growing up, not being educated, almost a block about money is somewhat uniquely Western or American in particular. When I talk to my Brazilian counterparts or I talk to, or I shouldn't say Brazilian, but South American, South African, Mm -hmm. they talk like you talk. Well, at the dinner table, we talked about numbers. We talked about finances. We talked about the arts. Mm -hmm. We got quiz. We, We went to school. We studied science, those kinds of things. And so what is it, do you have an opinion as to what is it that's so unique to Americans American women that we don't really embrace financial literacy? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, your anecdotal observations are borne out by UBS, who does a lot of work around, they do these own your worth reports, where they every year they survey women across the world, and they ask a a lot of questions about money, not only managing your household money, but building wealth, et cetera. And when you look at some of the different countries, the U.S. is one of the lower ones in terms of women leading the way in a a partnership with money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So women in the U.S. tend to defer to their spouses, and this is male spouses, more than like 50% less than women say in Mexico or Brazil. When you said South America, Central America, that's just very interesting. And I don't really know why that is, but it is, it's clearly borne out in the statistics. Yeah, it's, that's very interesting. And the other side of it is the expectation is that, you know, as I've been coaching as well when I was in HR, is that, you know, well, we have to put someone with her so that they can handle the budget, right? <laughs> the PL. Yes that kind of thing. And so it's something that if you're really thinking about being in a a role where you're leading or running your own business, one of the things that you have to deal with is you have to tackle this idea of financial literature, managing money out of it. And so when I ask people, you know, what does that mean? You know, because we, they all say, Oh no, no, I, I manage my money. Right. That's one thing I want. I would just want to push back when you say manage money, because a few months ago, I posted something on LinkedIn and it was about building wealth and how women traditionally don't take responsibility for that in their families. And someone wrote, oh, I handle all the money in my family. I pay the bills. I do the grocery shopping. And yes, 
yes, traditionally women have done that. Women do the short-term things around money and we spend the money, but that is not equivalent at all to building wealth. The investments, the longer-term financial decisions that either you as an individual or you in conjunction with your family need to make to ensure your financial well-being, especially in retirement. Yeah. And so one of the things that is really important is, is that, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you're only thinking about it from your perspective of we're managing the short term, which is an annual budget, we're not maybe even about, annual or maybe just weekly, you know, yeah, or, or monthly weekly yeah. or whatever. And, and even at work, all we're thinking about is the day to day, the quarterly outcomes, et cetera. But we're right. not thinking about financial instruments, which is what it takes to build the wealth. Yes. Then we're shortchanging our ability to be a high performer and a competitive, have a competitive yeah. position in the marketplace in and of itself. Yes, I also I find that we true. just don't talk about it. Yeah, you know, we don't talk about it. There's statistics that show that, and these were done with millennials, but millennial women are mm-hmm. something like three times more likely to talk about their sex life with their friends than they are to talk about money. And then I always say for people of a more advanced generation, boomers like me, it's probably even less, right? Oh, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. you know, we don't want to talk about either, maybe. So that's really interesting. We don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think traditionally to In many walks of life, we see how women differ in their certitude about being able to understand or do something, right? Mm -hmm. There are all these studies that show that when you post a job, men who have a few of the qualifications will respond saying that they can for sure do this job. And women who may have more of the qualifications will pick out the one or two that they don't have and then say, oh, I shouldn't bother to apply. Yeah. So there is there's that certainty. And men, after studies, show that men evidence a high level of certitude with things like investments and being able to manage that. Their results are actually not as good as women's. Mm. And part of that is the thing of women being more risk aware. So mm-hmm. people talk about women being risk averse, but that's not really it. We seem risk averse to men, I think, because we ask many, many questions around a particular topic because we want to sort of get a holistic view of that instrument, that home investment, that whatever it is. Mm -hmm, We want mm -hmm. to understand a lot of the ramifications before we do it or put our Mm -hmm. money there, whatever. Mm -hmm. And men are more likely to go, and this is, of course, a generalization, but men will respond to maybe there is higher chance of or there is a chance of higher return. But to us, then we would think, oh, but that probably means there's more risk. So I want to understand that. And the men will see the higher return and think, oh, that's great. Go for it. Yeah. So we're not we're not risk averse. And traditionally, we've been put in that box, which is mislabeled, mislabeled. Yeah. And then we've then that sort of shunted to the side because, oh, well, you know, they don't really understand money. Mm -hmm. We actually Mm -hmm. do. So to women that are listening, be much more confident about your innate skills and ability to understand this than you might be. And one, just one quick other thing I would say about is, you know, women say, I don't know any, I really don't know anything about finance. I don't, I can't learn it. Of course you can learn it. Think of all the things in the last, say, 10 years, you've learned about technology, whether that's just operating your smartphone or learning, you know, things on your computer, whatever it is, we've all learned so much. 
that is no more difficult than learning about finance. It's just not. Oh, it's just another thing to learn. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I'm throughout the whole thing that it is our mindset. It is how we frame the issue. And if you frame it as something I can't do, I guess can't what? Do yeah, absolutely. Then I can't do it. I can't, yeah, I can't do, do, it. do it. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so yeah. fascinating, fascinating. So in your, your business, your coaching, your development in terms of helping people, tell me a little bit about what is it that you do with your clients? What is it? How do you help them get past all of this? Because it sounds to me like it really isn't about the instruments or the wealth building strategies per se, but it's really getting them to feel comfortable that they're not unable to do this. It's really about a risk aversion and understanding what's on the line for them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the way I have found to, to start this conversation is to start with what people want. What do you want in your life? Mm-hmm. What do you want in the near term, in the, the longer term? What things do you want to support people, causes? Really, how do you see your life? And then let's, how can money help you get there? Because that is one of the primary things that is going to help you get there. Yeah. And if you ignore it, you won't be able to do what you want to do. And when you start really thinking in terms of those goals, then it's, I think, conceptually easier to see why you would want to manage your money to be able to reach them. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much like, um, let's say if you wanted to do a marathon in a year, you sort of know their steps. If you just follow some basic steps, then you will be able to run a marathon in a year. You're not probably going to win the New York marathon, but you'll yeah. be able to do the 26.2 miles. Yeah. And your podcast is dedicated to this small steps over time, make big results. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you need to do with money. So we were talking before about books. And so I am writing a book on this exact issue of how small steps taken, you know, over time, and I break it down into 31 periods like a month, but of Mm -hmm. course, you could do it for 31 weeks or whatever, Mm -hmm. is that you will see a market change in your finances and your understanding of what they are and what they can do for you. It's interesting because I think the other hesitancy that women have is, you know, money is personal. And there's a feeling that once you lose it, you know, it's, ooh, I've made a mistake. There's lots of judgment around it. It, it reinforces this idea that I'm not good enough, et cetera. And yet the marathon is a perfect example of if you were going to do a marathon and you were going to successfully do it, you would probably look up information. You would contact other people who have done marathons and figure out that thing. And I think you would look online. Yeah. Online. But I think one of the biggest triggers for a fear is one exposure that I don't know. But the other is, is finding somebody who you really trust Mm -hmm. to give you that kind of advice. I mean, I find that in my business, just how can I trust you to help me be a better leader and to manage these issues with my people or run my business or think about my business. I think the financial industry itself is one of, for women, it's not really a comfortable and trusting place. How well, it certainly has not traditionally been. You're right. In fact, something like, what can I do? Yeah. Well, just a little fun statistic. This may not be true today, but as much as several years ago, it was true, is that 70% 
uh, when women either get divorced or widowed, 70% of them change their financial advisor mm. and not a person, but a company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that has caused a lot of banks and financial advisory firms to question, why is that? Mm-hmm. And it gets back to some of these things that we were touching on earlier in terms of the different way women approach investments and questions, and that that's not since traditionally more financial advisors, and there still are many more men, it's sort of just butting heads in terms of the women asking a lot of questions and the guys often sort of dismissing them. Mm -hmm. And so no wonder they don't feel comfortable. The women don't feel comfortable and they want to leave and try to find someone else. But I think with what I do, since I am not a financial advisor, I'm qualified to be one, but I don't do that. When I work with you, you get comfortable with where you are with your money and you understand what you want from it. And that makes it a lot easier for you to be confident and have the right questions, which I can help you with too, to question and interview financial advisors and see which one you want. And Mm -hmm. that's honestly, it's if you need one. I think there are many people today who use financial advisors, who of course cost something, right? And who, of course they cost, they should, they're putting in work for you. I understand that. Probably not everyone needs one, honestly. But, and it would help them. So, yeah, so, yeah. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot is, is finding these solutions. And so it sounds to me like what your work really is, is helping people get, helping women and others to get the right mindset, to feel confident, and to help them understand, get, kind of get through the terminology that yes. frankly can be a bit overwhelming. Yeah, um, that's know, true. Some, you know, credits and balances. Well, okay. But credits again, I would go back to, I would go back to technology. Think yeah. of all the words that we know about technology that we didn't have a clue even existed 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I don't just mean like words like social media. I mean, things like, you know, megabytes or gigabytes, or mm-hmm. I don't know, even things about doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of technology involved in this, right? Mm-hmm. You've mastered it. I hope, you know, I got online with you. I can do it too. I mean, this is just not a big deal. So I think that it's that confidence factor that's yeah. really important. And I think if I hear you right, that's what you help people with, as well as helping them to understand what's the right strategy for them. Yes, yes. And again, it gets back to working from your goals. I think a traditional way of approaching finances for people has been to do budgets. But frankly, people find budgets overwhelming because there are lots of little line items. And, you know, the other thing is then you're trying to extrapolate out for months or years. And if this last year has shown us anything, it's that whatever guesses we have about the future may or may not be true and they probably won't be. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of, approach doesn't yield the results then that people want necessarily. And so that's discouraging. Yeah. And then you tend not to do it. So what would you tell somebody to help them start diving in? What's one or two things that you would say, go do this. This is how you start. You know, honestly, the first thing I think is, and this sounds really simple, is just get all your financial documents in one place. If you have, if you like hard copy, then just Pull out your latest statements from your 401ks, other retirement accounts, any investment accounts, your bank statement. If you have insurance statements, whatever, just put them in a pile. 
And you'll see it's not quite as daunting as you think. Mm -hmm. But that just putting them all together Mm -hmm. or put them all in a file if you're digital will make you feel better. It just will. It sounds like a really silly thing to do. But I have one of the reasons I went into this business is I was I was talking to a friend of mine and she's a lawyer and she's cleared to practice in front of the Supreme Court of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I told her about, you know, I said, I'm starting this business to help women with their money. And she said, oh, good. Can you help me read my 401k statement? I just can't do it. And I said, of course you can do that. You're cleared to practice law in front of the Supreme Court and you're telling me that you can't read your 401k statement? I've never heard anything so crazy. You know, of course she can read it. She just hasn't taken the time to try to learn to do it. And so, and she said, oh, I just throw them in a drawer when I get them. And that's just not, it's not smart. I uncovered a $30,000 mistake in my 401k when I was leaving one firm. And it was, it was just an honest mistake that the HR group had made because we did everything by hand back then. And I was, had put down a certain thing that I wanted to be invested in and they had invested it in something else. It was, it was just a mistake, but $30,000 is $30,000. Yeah. So, you know, you want to keep looking at these things. Yeah. You want to keep track of it, which brings me to the other issue is, is that is there, you know, most people build their wealth through the job that they have. That's the main source of their income. They're, they participate or choose not to participate in 401k strategies because you know very few companies now have pensions that are going to do that. And, and, and if you listen to you know, the news and all the marketing and whatnot, you know, in a few years, Social Security is going to be bankrupt and nobody's going to have it, which I'm not sure I believe that. But Let's yeah. put it on the table as maybe. It's always, it's always, it's been out there. That has gone on for a long time. I think yeah. I remember hearing that in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think that's going to happen. However, I do think yeah. that given the cost of living and the fact that we want to have good lives and the length and longevity that we have, people do need to do it. And the, the number one, as we found out during COVID, and the quarantine, the number one way to incur bankruptcy or financial problems is medical. If you get sick and those medical bills will just be overwhelming uh, for you. And I think that's the biggest fear that everyone has. What can a company do, HR departments do, that would help people figure out how to better manage these financial instruments, these opportunities out there for them? Right, right. Can I just, I just want to segue, go back to something that you, a while ago, just so I make sure that I get this in, is that women are always worried about making mistakes. And I just want to say there is no, you pick some investor, or maybe you haven't even heard of any investors, but if you think of any hedge fund guy, even Warren Buffett, you know, people that we think are the best money people ever, Mm -hmm. they have all made mistakes Mm -hmm. and they've often made quite big mistakes but they keep going. They learn from their mistakes. They don't just stop. And certainly the fear of making a mistake doesn't paralyze them. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of things that you can do that are fairly simple where you don't have to worry about, of course, it could be a mistake, but it probably won't be. I just wanted to say that. And then I also want to point out is that in terms of what you just said about most of us think that well-being will come from our salary, I actually think that's a bit of a something that we think but isn't really true. Okay. Because I think that our wealth, our ability to do things really come from our investments mm-hmm. and making money from 
our salary, but not the salary itself. Because Mm -hmm. so many people, the salary is our living expenses, right? And so we need to be investing on the side outside of that to grow a pot of money that will be there for possibly, like you said, unexpected expense Mm -hmm. or retirement, that kind of thing. But it really will be those investments. It's not going to be your salary. Okay. Okay. So how can HR or the company itself help you better? Yeah, I think I do see a lot of companies doing this now. And and I've spoken at two private companies in the last several months. In one of them, I've had six different sessions with employees and they've been all about different kinds of things. So their 401k, we've talked about that. We've talked about just general investing, just it's really educational, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think companies not only talking about their own benefits, although that's clearly very helpful because only like you say, only a, a small percentage of people actually sign up for the benefits that companies do provide. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I talk to someone, they are not taking advantage of the match that the company has in the 401k program. And that's, you know, that's like turning money down. That's, Mm -hmm. that's like saying, I really want to pay you, you know, $108,000 instead of a hundred. And you say, no, I'll just take the hundred, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to look at your company's benefits and do use them, use them because they are there to help you with wealth. And it's also incumbent on the companies to help explain all that to you. But I also see companies now going outside of just what they offer to talk more about other financial things, sort of financial literacy things that can help their employees. And I think it's a really smart strategy because we lose a lot of money, of time, of employees, Due to financial stress, Mm -hmm. something like 80% of employers report that personal financial issues are really impacting their employees' performance. Things like Mm -hmm. just an increase in general stress, the inability Mm -hmm. to focus, absenteeism and tardiness, which then, of course, affects other team members as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that going on. Some of the numbers that I've seen, it's a just a 2019 survey done by the Salary Finance Group mm-hmm. that the lost productivity is about 2.5% of GDP for the U.S. Wow. Due to personal financial stress. Yeah. Employees. Yeah. So it benefits not just a person, it benefits the employer. Absolutely. To, be, to yes. kind of foster this conversation that's educational as well yeah. as action oriented. So they should yes. be managing and num- understanding what percentage of their employees are actually invested in the 401k, have, what percentage of their employees are actually taking the benefits and using yes. the benefits. One of the things yeah, that I work it was really having my team help me understand what would it take to get people to actually invest in and create that kind of wealth, but you also have to educate them. So that they feel comfortable making these decisions, because I think for whatever reason, we all have this. I don't have enough, but not enough. I'm not good with it. Kind of I can't understand about, it. Yeah, I can't absolutely. understand it about money. So and I think that's exactly right. Like, you know, it's so it's the end of October, beginning of November. It's time for your benefit statements. And, you know, maybe you get or it's your benefit enrollment period and you get these forms and they're all, and if you don't know what those mean, you yeah. just get overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Lawyer that you mentioned, you know, yeah, I, I can't yeah, yeah exactly. I can't, I can't read that. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So you can read them, everybody listening. You can read them. <laughs> you heard it here. If you want to close the gap, then the first thing you do is learn to at least look at them and you can learn to read them. I also want to say that for the most part, I think the first small step for all of us, particularly women who are aspiring to be in the executive ranks, is that you have to start getting comfortable with money. And where is the safest place to do that? With your own personal finance. With your own money, yes. With your You're own still right, money. Denise. And if you can be good with your own money, then you're much yeah. more likely to be confident that you can handle a P&L for a particular company. And not only from just being an operations job where you have P&L responsibilities, but also from a staff job where you have budget responsibilities, but you understand how your budget impacts the P&L in general. And that when you need to have arguments about or discussions, debates on where we're going to spend the money, you feel confident about your choices because you understand the connection. And the first safest place is learning how to do it on your own. Is that true? Yes, I think you're exactly right. And as we've said, it's really not that difficult. And I would just you know, there's so many resources now to learn about money in a in a very non-confrontational and non-scary way. There, there are really lots and lots of YouTube videos by people of all ages, men, women, people of color, LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. If you want to relate to a specific kind of person, you can find them online giving you tips about money. And okay. I just one book that I've read recently that people might enjoy is by Morgan Housel. It's H-O-U-S-E-L and it's called The Psychology of Money. Mm. And basically his premise is, it's not so much about money mindset and removing blocks and those kinds of things. It's really more about we all make what we think are logical decisions about money. Mm -hmm. So really none of our decisions are wrong. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're probably not the smartest to get us where we want to go. Okay. But, and so I think that removes a lot of maybe that guilt about, oh my gosh, I made the wrong decision once. Now I'm just frozen. I can't do anything. I'll never get this right. It's just not true because we all do what we think is right. And sometimes it's, it's not the best decision for the long term. And I think this helps, at least it helped me sort of put those things into perspective, perspective. that they're not the same. Making a mistake today does not mean that I still can't be successful with money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And getting over that fear of making a mistake and exposure that maybe you're not quite, whatever that means, capable of doing it, which is, it's an interesting reinforcing loop in your mind of failure, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I can't believe, as usual, you guys have sat here, you've got a chance to eavesdrop on a wonderful conversation with my guest, Joy. And so how can people get a hold of you? So the best way, Denise, is to go to chat with Joe, J-O, not J-O-E. So chatwithjoe.com. Mm-hmm. And that'll take you right to my calendar and it will book a 20-minute meeting, totally complimentary, that we can talk about whatever your issue is, whether you're an individual that wants some help with money, that wants some ideas about building wealth, about taking that next step. If you are a corporate person and you would like to discuss me coming to talk to your group, which I would love to do, you can do that as well there. So chatwithjoe.com. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, thank you again for listening in on Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation around financial literacy, financial empowerment, 
and that you understand the connectivity of how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you have a fear around money in your home life or a hesitancy, risk aversion, whatever you want to call it with your money at home, then you're going to have it in the workplace. And if you're actually aspiring to be in that senior level job, if you're actually looking to be more competitive in the workplace, then tackling this idea of I can handle money and to be able to do it confidently is a critical first step or second step that you need to do. With that, you know how to catch me. You can reach me on LinkedIn. You can reach me through the podcast. I would love to hear it. If you liked what you heard, please share it. If you don't like it, share it anyway, because I promise that it will generate a conversation that will help you close the gap. So until next time, I wish you well and see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.